Hello, my name is Mark Taylor and welcome to the Education on Fire podcast. The place for creative and inspiring learning from around the world. Listen to teachers, parents and mentors share how they are supporting children to live their best authentic life and are proving to be a guiding light to us all. Hello, welcome back to the Education on Fire podcast. Thank you so much for joining us here today. I'm going to be chatting with Coach Steve Frenzinger. Now, Coach Steve is a cancer survivor and is now focusing on sharing his decades of experience with millions of people of all ages. He's an entrepreneur that has built and sold two eight-figure revenue businesses, a coach to hundreds of innovators and change agents at Sony, Disney, Broadcom, Tesla, PwC, SpaceX, Oracle, and many SMB founders. He's also a Forbes author, speaker, and researcher. He's a Hall of Fame angel investor at early stage companies, He's a frequent podcast guest and he's the originator of the Ambition Mastery series with its five barriers to success, mind, personality, brand, visibility and journey. So just before we get into this fantastic conversation with Steve, here's a quick thank you to our sponsor. I'd like to thank the National Association for Primary Education for their continued support and sponsorship of the Education on Fire podcast. In March, they have a brand new conference which is online called Towards the Balanced and Broadly Based Curriculum. Now, the impact of the coronavirus pandemic on children's education may be perceived as a justification for narrowing the curriculum at the expense of the arts and the humanities. But this conference will explore the case for preserving young children's entitlement to as rich and diverse a curriculum as possible. Dr. Yude's keynote lecture will set the scene, highlighting some key issues and considering some lessons to be learnt from the period of lockdown. The subsequent presentations will focus on classroom practice, providing a spotlight on innovations which have been implemented in school and offering guidance for the future. Now, to find out more about this conference, please go to nape.org.uk forward slash conference. That's nape.org.uk forward slash conference. Hello, Coach Steve. Thank you so much for joining us here on the Education on Fire podcast. And I'm really looking forward to being able to to chat about this idea of what coaching is from that aspect of being slightly older, but how we sort of create that environment and that atmosphere to be able to help the youngsters and the people that are help supporting them. So thank you so much for being here. Well, I'm excited to be here. Uh, this is a, an issue, you know, I, I generally deal with older um, professionals, but the idea of, of taking some of what I've learned through coaching and have it affect a younger group uh, is, is exciting to me. So I'm, I'm, I'm excited to be here. So why don't we start, one of the things that really struck me when we were sort of getting together but before we started recording, the whole idea of feedback. And that there are two things that I know as a parent, as well as uh, being a, a music teacher, is often that sense of feedback often comes across as the, the children sort of feel like they're being threatened. or it, it, No matter how you sort of try and do it, it's really hard for them not to instinctually feel like they're being threatened and I don't know if that's because that's the atmosphere that our education system is in at the moment or whether that's a a more biological thing but to try and get that atmosphere where it feels like a positive thing and we're always learning from our failures or from our mistakes I think is a really important thing for for children to understand. Yeah I think you know what what you say about the kids it's true with adults as well we we have a sense that feedback is going to be negative and as a result we don't we don't seek it, but you know, after decades of coaching, I can tell you that 95% of feedback is either good or it's easily fixable. 
I mean, it can be good in the sense that it can confirm a strength. You're, we're always looking to confirm a strength. It can identify a strength you didn't even know you had. And, it, and if it points out a problem, you know, a bad handshake, uh, violating personal space, you're too loud and aggressive, whatever it is, these are easily fixable. You just stop doing that, you know. And I think part of it is is one knowing that you're doing these things, isn't it, as well? And, and also feeling like you're then on a continually positive <clears throat> journey. And, and I think that's something that people don't understand as well. It's that kind of... I must be perfect to begin with. And it, it, I have to say, it's something which strikes me a lot as a, as a musician. What I found is, is that certainly here in the UK, one of the things is kind of being professional, being prepared, and also you turn up for everything knowing everything. You know, it's sort of time is money and that kind of thing. And actually, once you start to relax into the fact that there's a rehearsal, there's a learning process here, that changes the whole feeling rather than I need to be right, I need to be in that yeah. zinc to begin with, you know. No, so that's so true. I, you know, my grandkids, I watch them, you know, get upset when they lose a soccer game or a, a softball game and stuff like that. And I've always tried to instill in them that, you know, I, I'm, I'm a believe there's no such thing as failure. There's only results. And if you don't like the results, just go back and try it again. So I think people have to realize that, you know, as you, if you're going to learn to ski, you're going to fall down. You know, if you're going to learn to play a sport, you're going to lose sometimes. So it's just the issue of you go out, you get a result. And if you don't like it, you change it up and you try again. So I, I, I really don't like the word failure. And I try to remove that from the conversation. And it's surprising just that one concept helps people then go out and take more chances. Because again, they, they, you'll look, they'll look at me and they go, Papa, they go, Papa, it's just a result. <laughs> <laughs> And I think that's the thing about about what we do around children all the time, isn't it? It's actually creating that atmosphere and that comes from the language we use and also, I guess, how we show up and how we talk about um, our results based on what we think may or, sh or may not should be happening. Yeah. No, that's true. That's true. You know, on that feedback thing, I'd, I really would love to share a story because... Um, when I was 18 and I had just graduated from high school and I, I wasn't a particularly good student, I had ADD and I just couldn't sit still and I had my own sort of learning style and I was just sort of meandering around trying to decide what to do with the rest of my life and a couple of friends came by one day and said they were going down to the local uh, junior college to uh, take an intelligence test and they wanted me to come along and I said, whoa, no, 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 I, I don't need you know, nobody had ever called me smart. Some of them had called me a good athlete, but never called me smart. But they talked me into it. I went down, I took the intelligence test, <laughs> and the lady up that administered it called me up. And, and I, I walked up and I said, I'm Steve Frenzinger. She goes, Stephen, you did remarkably well. She says, matter of fact, you aced the abstract comprehension portion of the test. I think that's the first time I've ever seen that. And I go, I said, that's fantastic. I go, what does that mean? <laughs> well, she said, well, it's one of our uh, indicators or filters for recommending that people go into, you know, engineering and technology fields. And I said, well, how would I do that? And she said, well, you can, you know, you can go off and get a four-year degree or there are, there are trade schools at today where you can learn to become a computer programmer and learn how to work with computers. 
Well, the thought of grinding out more school in four years didn't sit well, so I took a crash course on programming and did remarkably well, which again sort of confirmed that I was good at this. And my teacher was so pleased, he referred me into a local aerospace company where they were hiring people for a new project. And I went down there, took a test, did really well, and they hired me. So in a matter of three or four months, I went from a dumb kid working at a car wash with no idea what I was going to do to a salaried employee at a major aerospace company making more money than my parents. So the story was I'm, I became a feedback hound at that point. I couldn't learn enough about myself because it just proved to me that whatever I learned, be it good or bad, was going to empower me. And I hope that story resonates because it's, there's, so many, there's so much great feedback out there. But how would I have known? It, it changed my whole life. It, it guided me through my early years. I started a business around it. I made millions of dollars. I mean, it was crazy. And it all started because some friends invited me to go take a test at the local junior college to discover something I had no idea I had. And I love that. On I love it on two two reasons. One is the fact that it's so random. Like you say, just you know, a couple of pay- friends say, "Look, let's just come along <clears> and do it." Not something you planned. Not something you'd structured or had a big game plan for, which so many people <laughs> think think they have. Totally um, random. And and then also the fact that, like you say, once you've got that, your perception of yourself and and your whole world just changes almost immediately. And that is. You just never know when that's going to happen. It's so true. I, I tell people there's a, there's a big difference between thinking and knowing. What happened on that day, you know, I thought I was a reasonably bright kid, even though I wasn't good in school. I, you know, I could read a book and I could learn from it and stuff like that. But when you get that kind of feedback and it gives you some certainty that you have a skill, it changed my whole life because, you know, everything changes. My, when you go from thinking you're good at something to knowing it, when you've had true confirmation, you stand taller, you make better eye contact, your voice is deeper, your handshake is firmer. I mean, I went through a complete transformation and all because I took a little silly little test. And the test told me that I had something and that affected the way my, I, I saw myself and that changed everything about me. So yes, it's, 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 it's all in your mind. You know, so much of success is, is psychology. It's in your mind and, and whether you believe or not that you can do something. So. And, and what, why do you think that that wasn't either picked up in school or, or wasn't um, explored in some way? Do you think it's just the way that your particular school system was set up or the fact there wasn't enough personal interaction to really know you on a level that could come across that? What do you think it was? You know, I think it was a combination of things. I don't think there are times I I wonder if traditional education is properly guiding kids, you know. And the other part, I was just never into being a student. I mean, I sat in class and just tapped my foot and stared out the window and I was it was pathetically slow in my mind and you know I they'd hand out a book and I'd go read it over the weekend and I'd go now I'm going to spend three months going through a book I just read so it, I think it's a mismatch in some cases of what's being taught and then maybe recognizing a student's 
method of learning. You know, I think teachers probably have to teach to the common denominator in the classroom. And there's a lot of different learners out there. I'm, you know, I learned over time that I'm, I'm an auditory learner. For some reason, you know, I may not look at you. I may not make good eye contact. I'm not a touchy-feely person. But somehow what you say resonates with me, okay? And, and so much of what I was being taught was being written on the board and I was being told to read it and stuff. So I think it's sort of a combination of things and I think certainly uh, that's a topic for discussion and, and a good one. Yeah, and I, and I think that's why these conversations are so important to me because it kind of, whoever's listening and, and clocks this, it is that sense of everything is different and everything is possible and everything can change. How you show up, how you teach someone, how you talk to them, even the you know a student themselves who comes across it and actually says, "Ah, oh, yeah." So this person's managed to do, like, for your example, you know, had their school experience like it was, and then their life changed, and then went on to have a highly successful yeah. career. So the fact that I feel like I'm just literally treading water in school or whatever doesn't necessarily mean to say that's my entire life. It just means to say yeah. where I am now, and I can actually then think about what that means and where I might be able to learn differently. I guess you know it's funny. What I've discovered is life is full of aha moments. These are moments of sudden realization, like when I took that test, and sometimes they're even epiphanies. An epiphany is uh, just an aha moment on steroids. <laughs> and uh, my epiphany that day after I took that test, you know, changed everything. And I guess from a teacher's standpoint, you have to look for the student who's had an aha moment and then reinforce it because it, they come and go. You know, kids either check in or check out. Uh, you know, the mind plays funny games with us and... We're sitting there in class and our minds often engage us in conversation and that turns off our hearing, our sight, our everything. You know, when, we're in, when you're in your head thinking and talking to yourself, pondering the, you know, reviewing the past or pondering the future, which is the domain of the mind, you, you, you're unaware of what's going on. Matter of fact, you know, you don't hear what's being said properly. Uh, if you're if you're if you're driving a car, you probably get off at the wrong uh, off ramp. If you're on an elevator, you probably get off at the wrong floor. We've all seen that when we're just sort of checked out. And you know, people say, "Well, what do you think, Steve?" And I say, "About what?" And they go, "What? What I just asked you." And and I said, "Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't hear it." And it's like, "Where were you?" You know, you were in your head, and and I think that's what most teachers have to be aware. Matter of fact, this brings up a great, I, I teach a selling course and I tell people that when you're speaking to a group of people, and, and I, I guess this would assume a classroom as well, you have to assume, assume that at least half of the people didn't hear what you said at that moment, okay? And as a result, if it was an important part of the lesson, it has to be repeated multiple times. Because people in the audience go in and out of consciousness. And when I say, when I go into my head thinking, I don't hear what you say. And when I come back, I do. But, but literally, up to half of your students probably don't hear what you say at any moment in time. And how would that affect your lesson plan? You know, would it cause you to 
do uh, would it cause you to say the same thing in a different way or just be repetitive? Matter of fact, as a teacher, when people would sometimes, I'd get these evaluation, they said, Steve, you're a great teacher, but my gosh, you're repetitive. And I said, thank you. And they go, oh. I said, because that means you were paying attention. <laughs> if you heard me say it twice, then you were paying attention. But I said half the room didn't hear what I said. So, so I think from a te- that's a that's a that would be something I'd want to share. I've seen this for so long for so that if it's important, it has to be restated multiple times, multiple times. And and I have heard that as a concept before from a teacher standpoint, the fact that you know you're you are selling your lesson you're selling the information you're you know you're selling what you're doing on that day to engage with all the people in the room and actually like you say to be able to make sure that you understand that that's the case and to catch all those people and we certainly know that from our own personal learning experience I think it's great to hear and I think it's a really good piece of information for us just to remember because I think like I say unless you're told it or unless you you come across it as an idea it, you kind of either lose that concept or you just get out of the habit of doing it and having certain sort of points of reference on all of those lessons above and beyond what you think you're getting across i think is going to be really in, in, really really important yeah i think you know whether you know repeating it twice or telling a story related to the the concept or i think i'd mentioned to you before that i uh, when i was young i was an avid reader and i did interact with my teachers from time to time and i and I would say, gosh, I, 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 I love learning, but I just can't remember this. And one of my teachers said, well, Stephen, you should consider being a teacher. Because when you teach, you'll, you'll remember these things forever. You know, they'll be top of mind. So I, I actually took that to heart. And as I got into my profession, when I learned something, I always wanted to share it because sharing it for some reason was better than taking notes it was better than marking my book up that i'd never go back and look at again but when i shared it there's something happened those little synapses were connecting my neurons in my head and and a, there was a pathway created back to the information so learn and share became really key uh, reasons for my own personal success but I also realized that you have to simplify what you share because you typically share in minutes what it takes hours and days and weeks sometime to learn. So by simplifying, and I'll say, for example, let's say there's 10 points in a concept. You know, you know I'm not going to sit there and list off 10 things. You know, I'm just going to tell you the general concept and give you the top two. But those two are enough to get you to understand the value of what I'm saying. And it's a trigger mechanism for me to follow back into my brain where the other eight items are, are stored. Yeah. <laughs> so I often wondered if, if, you, if a teacher could get a child to realize that sharing was a great way to remember and that they should go home and share it with their brothers and sisters or share it with their mom and dad. You know, we're always looking for ways to get our kids to talk to us. What if the children thought that sharing was their way of, of owning and mastering information? It might even create more dialogue uh, in, the, in the household. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I really love that. And it just reminds me, one of the things I do in, in my lessons is especially when the children are first starting to learn the drums, for example, 
one of the, I get them when they come in sort of week two, week three, week four to say, so imagine I'm the student. You tell me, show me, teach me what we've done so far. You know, how did I, you know, how would you tell me how to hold the sticks? You know, what, what sort of things did we talk about, about, you know, good ways to remember certain things or a new note or, and all those sorts of stuff. And you're absolutely right. It's interesting. You know that they know it because they do it and you know that they're, they understand but they're sometimes just sort of searching for those words and you're right it's all those neural pathways all starting to come out so that they can explain it and move it on and i think yeah connecting those dots in that way is, yeah. is a brilliant idea you know we've all we've all had these situations where we're talking and somebody brings up something and and we know the answer or we know the author or we know the concept but it's just not top of mind then we're driving home or that night we go ah i remember so the difference between remembering later and remembering on the spot is th these little connections that we make that, that for me turned out to be through sharing and simplifying. And as I started my career, when I would learn something, I started writing a newsletter and it was basically a, it was a couple of sentences or a paragraph on a major article in the world of technology. So I was forced to summarize, you know, a 2000 word article in a paragraph, which is not easy to do, but I did it. And by doing that and by writing, I do a lot of writing for Forbes. Forbes has a thousand word limit on articles and I, I write on some pretty hefty topics. So, but I love it because they force me to say, say things pretty robust in a thousand words. So, so I just think, you know, the more we share, the more we remember, the, 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 the deeper it is and the more top of, top of mind it is, which I think is, is really important for our confidence so that we can bring these things up and talk about them, though. And I want to take just a short detail there based on what you just said, because I think this can be a really important thing for the way that we either create a lesson plan or we we try and get that that across from a a visual point of view um so a thousand words like i say isn't very much and you're trying to get a lot of information very easily to be depicted from the people reading and i guess especially if people are skimming you want to capture their attention yeah. and that kind of thing do you have some sort of maybe sort of key strategies and, and key bits of information you can share with us just to kind of grab that attention or, or to make sure that that information comes across as clearly as possible. Okay, as far as when you present your information? Yeah. Okay, absolutely. I had a, a guru of a, of a mentor in marketing. He taught, me, he taught me the concept of speed to aha, speed to aha. He says, whenever you're going to say anything to anybody, you have to orient them to what it is you're talking about. So if I'm going to go in and I'm going to share a five minute or a 10 minute uh, concept with you, if I don't orient you to what I'm talking about, after about a minute, all you're going to do is see my mouth moving because you, you, don't, you don't have an orientation. For example, when I'm, in, I'm involved in a lot of angel funding and a lot of entrepreneurs bring us their concepts and we give them 12 minutes to pitch and 12 minutes to answer questions. And I'm on a panel and I have a little red flag and I tell the entrepreneur, when I understand what you do, I'm going to raise the flag. Until then, I have no idea what you're talking about. And we would have people talk for 12 minutes and I never raised my flag. 
So I would say if you're going to present or, or explain anything to anybody, try to come up. Remember speed to aha. The aha moment for the listener is them understanding at least conceptually what you're talking about. You know, I have a new idea. We are to boats what Uber is to cars. So you go, oh, you are to boats what Uber is to cars. Oh, okay, you're sort of, sort of an on-demand shared thing with boats, right? And so all of a sudden, everything you say after that would make, would make sense. So those are, those are magic words, speed to aha, because in today's world and today's attention spans that are so short, you've got barely 30 to 45 seconds to orient somebody. You know, it's almost like a mini elevator pitch that you've got to tell them before you can tell them. (laughs) Absolutely. So I would, I would say that's a, um, that's very, that's very worthy. And let's um, touch a little bit on, and I love this, this crossover between the coaching and the teaching and, and the concept from our, from our young people is the idea of being a brand. Because it seems to me that we do talk a lot about the, the knowledge that we're imparting in schools and, and what we're doing as teachers. But the idea that actually our personalities are incredibly important, how we show up are incredibly important, and, and what we give and how we serve is incredibly important. And all that, I think, is our brand, you know, mm-hmm. kind of how people are talking about us when we're not in the room. And I think that's important as teachers, but it's also important to get that concept across to our students as they're growing up. Yeah, I think it sort of falls in the general category of, of self-awareness. The, it really is important that we understand if we, have a, if we have a certain giftedness or special core strength, uh, we need to know what that is because um, that self-awareness allows us to be confident and bring us certainty um, on, on certain subjects. So, um, you know, the, the, the whole issue on self-awareness is there's really two sides to self-awareness. There's how I see myself and, and how I see my strengths and weaknesses. And that generally means I'll know what I'm good at and what I'm not so good at. So that's one set of issues. But the other side of self-awareness is do you see you as others see you see so that's where the brand comes in if you have a brand and that brand isn't consistent with the way you see yourself then you're out of sync and you have all kinds of all kinds of issues so so self-awareness the two sides of self-awareness again how we see ourselves and then how others see us and that's sometimes referred to as our brand because our brand is our reputation you know i've i can't tell you how many times i've met an executive who just, you know, he believes and, and truly believes and owns the fact that he's smart and visionary and hardworking. But when you run a 360 feedback survey, which is one way to you know, check out somebody's um, uh, reputation, it comes back that they're loud and obnoxious. And <laughs> I mean, it's like, holy mackerel. And, and, and if you don't know that, you're out there doing this thing. You know, I... <laughs> I have a little story to share. It's it's kind of in this area, but it was it was important because when my career when my career got going, 
um, I, I started to write and share and I started to get a little reputation as knowing certain things. So, and I was not a little full of myself, but I was very confident and I got invited to my very first panel uh, discussion where I sat up there with three or four other people and a, and a moderator would ask us questions. And when, when I was done, I was so happy with myself. I mean, I just thought I was articulate. I just thought I delivered on point. I felt like I was the smartest guy <laughs> on the stage, you know. So I walk off the stage and I see my wife who was going to meet me there to have lunch afterwards. And I walked up very confidently and said, well, honey, what do you think? And she goes, that was awful. And I went, what, what are you talking about? She goes, you were chewing gum and smacking it. Everybody in the room could hear you smacking your gum and you were tapping your foot on the floor. It's, it was a hardwood floor. So, you know, I was a nerd. When I was a kid, I was still tapping my foot. So between chewing gum and tapping my foot, my wife laid it on me and I walked out of there and go, no, who would have told me that? Who would have given me that feedback other than my wife who's not afraid <laughs> to call it the way she sees it but I would have left that that meeting that event thinking I had nailed it when I probably you know probably left people thinking I was kind of an oddball you know so but it's it's just more of that we just don't see ourselves we just don't see ourselves well we don't see ourselves well we don't ask people for feedback. People don't give us feedback freely because they always think it's going to be an issue. And then probably one in 25 professionals will actually hire somebody like me to go out and do a feedback survey. So there's feedback all around us, but it, it's, it, we just don't get it. And, and we just have to find a way to get it. And there are some techniques and I can talk about that later. And I guess that takes us very nicely into the whole concept of of mentorship and coaches no matter where we are in our life because we want to know first of all maybe more about ourselves like we've just been saying or we want to know where we can get access to information or or part of our world that we think we're not able to do or we want to unblock something that we want to sort of move into and I guess teachers are the first kind of mentors in a group setting but it's kind of that one-on-one -on -one or that one to small group where you kind of I guess have that opportunity to get that feedback in, in a safe environment. Yeah well I tell you one thing I have learned is never underestimate the impact of what you tell a child. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, and you have to be careful, just like you have to be careful what you say to yourself because your mind will often feed it back to you, especially if it's negative or, or, um, or, or a problem, and they'll, they'll feed it back to you on a repetitive basis to try to get your attention and stuff like that. So teachers are an incredibly influential opportunity to say things to children, to to build their confidence and and stuff, and I guess in many ways, you know, a teacher and a parent, they, you know, they are coaches, and and you know, whether or not that needs to be a concept that ch the child knows, you know, I don't know, because coaches always give feedback. I mean, the the top athletes in the world, the the top performers in the world, all have coaches. Actually, I saw a. Um, a TED talk the other day where Bill Gates and Eric Schmidt, uh, the chairman of Google or past chairman of Google, talked about how even they have coaches. I mean, to think that these multi-billionaires have coaches and the main purpose, as Eric Schmidt said, of the coach 
was to tell them the truth that about how they're being perceived and what they might have said and and just giving them honest and constructive feedback because in the moment you know we often we miss it we just we just miss it so so yes i i see you know teachers and parents as coaches and as coaches they need to share the the constructive feedback and get get kids to understand that that they can never get ahead in life unless they get feedback and that feedback is 95 percent good or easily fixable yeah. So um and let's just touch a little bit on on the mind chatter thing because it's it's come up two or three times and it's something I'm I'm very aware of in terms of you know the the mind working and the stories that you tell yourself as opposed to your you know living in the now and being you mm-hmm. know, your true self. Um, so tell us how your experience of that and 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 the benefits and certainly the understanding of it and how you can identify between the two. Yeah. Well, I. Um... I, I had a, you know, I've, since I was very young, I had a, you know, a voice in my head. We all have it, you know, it's uh, all of a sudden a thought will come into our mind. And, and um, so as I grew up, I, I wanted to get control of that because there were times that it just was repetitive and negative. You know, I did something and I said, oh, damn it. Why did I do that? You idiot. You're so dumb. But I don't realize that that's being entered into my mind. And, and when, the, when the mind, you know, Eckhart Tolle says the mind is needy and lonely. It's in, it's in your brain and your brain is, it's funny, I carry a little model that I sort of keep on, <laughs> keep on my desk. And I'm, you know, for the, for the listeners, I'm holding up a, a little model of a, like about a three pound brain, which is about the size. And, and the, the issue is that you, you need to realize that your mind is like a computer and it provides a service and, and inside there, um, it's dealing with the past and the future. But when you're truly in the moment and you're doing something and, and your mind is, is more like the, the observer or the, the, the camera person at a, at a photo shoot, which I think I mentioned earlier, it, um, it, it loses its voice. So, so if you're getting a lot of chatter in your mind, you have to come up with various techniques to get it to, to quiet. And one of the ways is don't give it any ammunition. Let's say, you know, you're mad at somebody. You want to say, that son of a gun stabbed me in the back. Well, believe me, the mind recorded that and said, ooh, I'm going to remind you of that one. But if you said, you know, I'm not happy with that guy. The mind can't do anything with that, you know? So I guess, as I would say, be careful what you say to others, especially children, be careful what you say to yourself, because if you're gonna feed yourself something negative about yourself and call yourself stupid and you're gonna screw this up, believe me, your mind's gonna feed that back to you over and over and over again. And there's really sort of two, there's two approaches to quieting the voice. You know, uh, someone like Eckhart Tolle will say, stay in the moment, you know, because when you're in the moment, the mind can't speak to you. It loses its voice. And so the, the moment is this wonderful, pain-free, mind-free environment where you can just enjoy life as it unfolds around you and with full awareness. And that's, that's a great concept, but the, the reality is the mind's going to heap is going to heap some stuff on you 
And there's various techniques for that. You know, if the mind, if, if the mind, if the mind were talking to me excessively now, I just tell it to shut up. I mean, it's funny. I, uh, seriously, I, you know, I will sometimes envision like I've sort of reached into my head and, and pulled it out and it's sort of there and, and I look at it and I say, shut up. You know, I don't, you have no right, you have no right to speak to me. Just shut up. And one of the beautiful things of, you know, both staying present, which the, the, the mind loses its voice in the present, and then being aggressive with it when it gets on your case, is that it gives you some level of control. But, but the bottom line of all of that is it was very comforting for me to know that when I had an evil thought, and they, we all get them from time to time, a dark thought, and you go, oh my gosh, I can't even believe I thought like that. Ooh, uh. We always hear about somebody that went off and did something crazy and they said, oh, the voice in my head told me to do something. Well, it's great comfort to know that that's not you talking, okay? That, that, that what was just said has nothing to do with you. That's your mind, which is lonely and needy in there and it's kind of tired of the past and the future and it wants to engage with you in conversation. I know that may seem a little heavy, but... The reality is I, I'd never take what my mind tells me too seriously, especially if it's negative, because I know what it's trying to do. It wants me in my head talking to it, and, and which makes me unconscious to the world that's unfolding around me. I, I, I apologize if that was too convoluted, but just have comfort to know that the mind will speak with you and throw stuff at you, and don't, don't think that that's you talking. That's it's your mind trying to throw heap heap stuff on you to get your attention yeah and I, but i think it's an incredibly important concept it's also um it's also a rabbit hole which people can get drawn into in a really large way and i think explaining it the way that you did and understanding that actually you don't even need to go down it when you realize that you can just decide i'm just going to want to buy you know it's uh, you know it will take me down there and i'll have a million conversations with myself and i'll go wherever it needs to go it's funny. actually you're never going to get out just it's funny you're right it's a point. rabbit hole you start that conversation and you're gone uh, there there are a bunch of techniques you know this whole concept of being mindful where you're you're in the moment and if the mind does interrupt you just sort of just sort of let it pass by almost like you're watching the clouds go by on a breezy day you know just 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 let it pass just let it pass and just don't take it uh, don't take it too seriously and i think that's an I think for those people that work in the school system as well, I mean, it, I mean, it's true for absolutely everybody, but I think it's very easy to get bombarded with all of those kind of things and actually to understand that you don't need to pick and choose what you get involved in. You don't need to actually get involved in any of it in that at that level. I think just frees you up in a, yeah. in a large way. And and it also talk, take, takes me a little bit into the into the idea of that mind chatter in a positive way or certainly in terms of how we control our life through the sorts of things that we ask ourselves and and i know that asking better questions is is, is a way right. that can really support you and and uh, and to talk us a little bit through that you know the um i'm writing another article right now called the mind friend or foe <laughs> and you know the mind the mind is is an amazing tool and it does a lot of things to run our bodies keep our heart beating and stuff but there are times when it just doesn't serve it just doesn't serve us 
and we have to come up with um, with techniques. I guess you know. I guess maybe I need to re rethink the question a little bit. Could you repeat that again? I realize I've gone down a rabbit hole. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm talking another one. Oh, on the I'm oh, sorry, on the questions. I understand. Yeah, and this is very true. And and one of the beauties of the mind is that it has certain characteristics. Okay, it loves to answer questions, and it understands premise. So when you ask, if you were to say to yourself, "Why can't I do something?" The mind says, hmm, the assumption or the premise says you can't, so I'm going to come up with reasons you can't because you're not prepared, you're not intelligent, you're not this, you're not that. But if you were to ask it, how can I do something, the premise is that I can, and the mind will, will work its magic and say, well, you could do this, you could do that, you could do this. So that the whole, it's sort of that whole philosophy, ask a better question, get a better answer, and it's true because the mind is very premise driven. It's, 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 a, it's almost like a semantic search. You know, Google has a very basic search, but the mind understands the premise of everything you ask it. And that's really what it's designed to do. It's designed to answer questions. Now, you know, sometimes you articulate those questions, sometimes you don't. Matter of fact, look at what you're wearing today, and that's probably a question you asked yourself this morning. You may not have said to your mind, what should we wear or what should I wear? But it got the point and, it, and you made the decision. So questions to your mind are sometimes articulated, sometimes they're not. It just gets the point. But the fact is that it really needs to answer your questions and you need to phrase your questions in a way. Actually, I found that really important with my granddaughter who's 11 because every once in a while she would, you know, she'd say, why can't I do this? Or why am I so dumb? And I said, no, 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 no. You, that's not the right question to be asking yourself, you know? And so I got her to turn it around and she says, well, how could I be better on this subject? And sure enough, and I said, well, how could you? She said, well, I guess I could practice more. And she said, well, yeah, I guess I could do my homework <laughs> <laughs> and stuff like that. So, so questions are really, really important. And that's really the, 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 the main thing the mind does for us. It answers questions. Where we get in trouble is when it wants to speak to us, when it just blurts things out. It's almost like a pop-up window on our computer. Don't you love that? You're working and all of a sudden a little window comes up and says, <laughs> how'd you like to buy one of these? You know, you're going, where in the hell did that come from? <laughs> <laughs> so, so if you want to avoid the pop-up windows, that's, that's, that's what I call self-talk. And, and as the mind works harder and harder to get your attention, it'll say more outrageous things. Um, and it's funny, I, my son-in-law, who I was teaching this to one time, uh, he, could, he didn't like, because I got pretty aggressive when I talked to myself. I'd tell my mind to shut up or even worse. And he'd say, yeah, I don't really like that. I'm just going to make fun of it. I said, what do you mean? He says... He says, yeah, when it says I'm going to go, are you kidding? That's, you know, that is so silly. <laughs> <laughs> so you don't have to get that aggressive with your mind. You can just make fun of it. And you say, oh, it must be lonely in there. You have to say craziness like that, you know. So, so there is, there's lots of different ways. Find, find a way to talk, you know, to quiet your mind in, in your own style. If your style is aggressive, shut up. Or if it's just staying in the moment, you know, doing things. By the way, the number one way to stay in the moment, the number one way, and it's been proven many times over, is to listen. Just listen. L-I-S-T-E-N. 
Listen intently to when somebody else speaks. Listen intently to the sounds of nature, to the birds chirping and the wind blowing through the breeze. Just listen intently or even listen to yourself breathe. I mean, you just sit there and go. And the longer than deeper the breath, the more likely you'll quiet the mind. I, I like five seconds in, five seconds out. Often when I'm going to bed, it puts me to sleep. It's better than counting sheep. <laughs> but listen, it's amazing. If you listen intently, the mind has, again, becomes an observer. It, it's, it's there. It's listening with you. It's going, huh? What's it? What's that? So that is the number one way. I mean, you can tell your mind to shut up. You can make fun of it. But if you want a way that's going to work, just pay absolute attention to, for, let's say, for a conversation. Just get with somebody and pay attention to what they say. Matter of fact, the number one compliment you can pay a person is to listen to them. Think about it. When, when, you've, when you're talking with somebody and you feel they really hear you and they really get you, and they give you the feedback that implies they heard you, doesn't that, doesn't that make you feel good? You've, you've been heard. So the, like I said, listening is, is, the, is, one, is the best way, and it's real time. A lot of people want to use meditation, and, and that's fine. It works. It's a de-stressor. It's a relaxer. But at 15 or 20 minutes a day or twice a day, it's not enough. You need some way to get in the moment and present instantly, you know, on demand, and the best way is just absolutely give some intense attention and interest to something that's happening around you. And your mind will go silent. So that's my that. advice. <laughs> yeah, I love that because it really does bring a lot of the things that we've spoken about all together in, yeah. in, in that kind of sort of one basket of, of, of information and knowledge and knowing. I think the knowing is really important, mm -hmm. you know, the feedback, the understanding, the listening, the breath thing I, I find really interesting because the one thing that I I find often is that one, it's a really good tool for me, like you say, to bring me into the moment. But also I realize that I'm actually not breathing very well or oh, very deeply. Yeah. And, and so you suddenly, you're like, ah, oh, so not only am I but maybe not in the moment or not aware, but also there's not a lot of oxygen going around my body because I'm actually breathing really shallow or, yeah. or however that happens to be. And I think that, you know, there's a, a bit of a double-edged sword there, which is actually a really, really supportive thing for you because, you know, the breathing from a purely biological point of view is going to give you a lot of what you need as well. You know, I had some expert tell me one time that as our brains evolved over time and they got larger and smarter, that it put pressure and sort of narrowed our um, our ability to breathe through our nose because our bodies were designed to breathe through our nose. The mouth is sort of a backup. And if you're a mouth breather, what that's telling you, you know, if you snore and, and have other issues, what that's telling you is you're not breathing properly through your nose at night. Um, so there's a variety of things you can do to investigate your, your nasal passages. Um, a lot of dentists these days are in the airway business and they'll run a little view of image of your head and your throat. And they did that on me and found out I had all these issues here. And so I had that addressed. My wife loves it. I don't snore. <laughs> I breathe through my nose. And I actually had some, uh, some narrowing of my airway passage that had was proven that when you breathe excessively through your mouth, your airways will begin to collapse. And it's a scary, it's a scary thing. 
And mine, after six months of following these programs, is fully returned to normal. I had a frightening x-ray that showed my, my airways uh, collapsing, and it was because I was mouth breathing. So this is, it's, it's important that you breathe through your nose for health reasons and for consciousness reasons, because that's, we were designed to breathe through our noses. Well, that's, I mean, I think it's really valuable information and, I, and there'll be, there'll be a lot of people suddenly in a very different state now than they were just a few <laughs> minutes ago when we, when, when we started <sighs> this conversation. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, um, so, so just to finish off, um, I know lots of people will always be asking, you know, what's the, the most important piece of information you'd like to share with other people or, or to pass down to the next generation. So would you mind sharing that with us? Yeah, I think, you know, I sometimes every once in a while somebody say, what's the one thing? What's the one thing you want to communicate to people? And that is you need feedback. You need raw, honest, constructive feedback. Feedback needs to be comprehensive, timely, and actionable. Comprehensive, don't tell me I'm a jerk. Tell me why I'm a jerk, you know? Timely, don't tell me last month you said this. What good is last month? You need to tell me now. And it needs to be actionable. Don't tell me I need to be seven feet tall because that's never going to happen. You know, so, so it's all about feedback. Matter of fact, there's so many reasons for feedback. Matter of fact, I have a great, um, a great little story, short one here, that, that uh, you know, people that don't go to the doctor very often are afraid of feedback from their doctor. And, and we will occasionally hear a story where somebody will eventually go to the doctor and be diagnosed with a serious illness that they could have discovered years earlier if they had just investigated, if they had just gone and gotten feedback, okay? Never wait for feedback. I've seen it sidetrack careers. I've seen it stall careers. I've seen it end careers. Because people do things that they don't, that they're not aware of, and nobody is either brave enough to share it with them, or they don't pursue feedback. I think you need to let people know around you that you're interested in their feedback. Because you, you just say, listen, I can't grow without feedback. And avoid the cardinal sin. When somebody gives you feedback, that's not an opportunity for you to give them feedback. <laughs> <laughs> so, so don't do that because that's, that's a horrible way. All, the only thing you can say to somebody who gives you honest, constructive feedback, something you can, you can learn from, the only thing you can say is thank you. Because it, has, it changed my life when I was 18. That little bit of feedback from that intelligence test launched an entire career. My whole life was turned on that moment of feedback. And it turned me into, some people call me a feedback hound. Actually, I almost started a, pod, a podcast started the, called The <laughs> Feedback Hound because, because I wanted it. I, I don't care what I found out, good or bad, it didn't matter because if, if, it, if it says I'm bad at this, well, good, I won't do that, you know? So, so yeah, so I'd say just be open to feedback. Tell people you want feedback. You know, don't ask them every day. That looks a little needy, you know, but... But seriously, pursue feedback. And if, if you're a professional already and you want a broader look, you might engage somebody to do a 360 survey to kind of create a baseline 
as to how others see you so that you can be both personally self-aware and then self-aware as to others, how they, how they view you and your reputation. So the last thought is feedback. Go for it. <laughs> Absolutely. And when you've got all that honesty and you've got that feedback and you know where you are, you know exactly what your next steps are, I guess, because you've actually then you know exactly who you are and where you are. And then those great questions that you can ask yourself can then take you where you want to go. Absolutely. There's nothing like knowing who you are and how you're developing. It makes it makes decisions incredibly uh, clear. Um Matter of fact, I wrote an article on that in Forbes. If, some, if they go to Forbes.com and just search on Frenzinger, you'll see the, the articles that I wrote on the, and other subjects. But that one on feedback is really, really valuable. Well, Coach Steve, thank you so much for sharing all this wisdom. It's been really thought-provoking, and I think it'll make a lot of people analyze, if nothing else, and actually take that feedback from themselves in that initial stage and, and also maybe ask some other people as well. So for people who want to read more of your articles and find out more stuff, where can they find you? Well, I think, like I said, Forbes.com, just search on Frenzinger. Um, I have a website called uh, Coach Steve P. So if you go to www.coachstevep.com, you'll see more about what I do and stuff. Um, I'm came out of retirement, like I said, I dodged cancer, and I'm just so excited to create uh, courses and master classes and masterminds in an effort to share my knowledge as, with as many people as, as I can. I mean, I've coached at Sony and Disney and Broadcom and Tesla and SpaceX and Pricewaterhouse, and that's great, but that was all one-on-one -on -one and very pricey, and that's not I'm not affecting enough people. I want to impact millions of people. So if you find out about me, everything I'm going to create is going to be something that is available to as many people as possible for as little as possible. Matter of fact, the only reason I charge for it at this point is that I've discovered that if people don't pay something, they don't pay attention. So, so, so I have courses that are very inexpensive and, and others that are a little more if it, has, if it takes a little bit of my time. My goal is to share my knowledge. It's all everything I share is based on real life experience with hundreds of people across numerous industries, and I look forward to um, interacting with as many people who want to, that want to reach out to me. You can give me your information on my website, and I'll send you some interesting insights and keep you up to date on what I'm doing. Fantastic. Well. Coach Steve, thank you so much indeed. And I really look forward to the, the opportunity. I really look forward to the opportunity of when we can continue this conversation. Oh, I'd love it. I'd love to find out how, how any of this might be used. Plus, I'll have additional time to think about how this could be used in, in, more, of the, in more of the younger group educational system. Very good. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Education on Fire podcast. For more information of each episode and to get in touch, go to educationonfire.com. Education is not the filling of a pail, but the lighting of a fire.